Good morning. I want to thank you guys so much for that first song. I'm glad I didn't have to speak right after that because I was so choked up. Those words are, the lyrics are from the preamble to the Earth Charter, and they've touched me so many times, but I don't know if they've ever touched me quite as deeply as this morning hearing you guys singing. I had seen the lyrics, but I didn't make that connection until you sang, so thank you. For the rest of you, I've prepared what I wanted to say and put it on paper because I tend to be so long-winded and go off in so many tangents that I thought the only way to keep me within the time limit is to restrict the number of words I'm going to say. But it's not the way I'm normally used to speaking, so if I sound a little stilted, I apologize. Come to the workshop and you'll see me in my more natural mode. <laughs> so I fir first I want to thank you all for welcoming me here to the Washington Ethical Society. And I want to share something with you that I think you'll probably find amusing, because it was a reflection of my ignorance, but I had no idea what an ethical society was when I was first invited. So I was really imagining people like what Plato and Socrates do, you know, <laughs> sitting around and discussing heavy, you know, philosophical things and challenging each other with deep ethical questions. And then, and then I realized that's basically what you do, only, <laughs> only, only you do a lot more than that as well, which, um, which I was also, you know, happy to, to see. But, but anyways, I, it, it, it was sort of, to me, like a, like a chess club for the soul or something like this. <laughs> so, okay, so, so, so when I was first asked to come to the Washington Ethical Society and speak about the Earth Charter, and once I had it all sorted out, what you guys really are all about, um, I thought, well, this is great. You know, what better place to talk about a framework for an ethical society than at an ethical society, you know, <laughs> uppercase. So, so I, I hope that that's how it turns out. And I really feel like having come and spent some time with your community, I mean, I realize I have as much to learn from, from you all as, as you have to learn from me in terms of how to live the principles of the Earth Charter and, and how to live as a um, say a, a motivated, a conscientiously motivated community. So I, I thank you uh, for that as well, as well as the invitation. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I wanted to share one other linguistic challenge I had. Because I was asked, are you, are you interested or willing to do a platform? And I thought, what is a platform? I'd finally figured out what an ethical society was. And, and, uh, <laughs> and then, I don't remember who, somebody suggested it's sort of like Wes's version of a sermon. And I thought, Oh, no. <laughs> That's not something for me. I couldn't imagine myself giving a sermon. But then Amanda suggested, well, maybe I should just share with you my journey to and my journey with the Earth Charter. And then I thought, oh, that's something I definitely can do with, with honor, and, and, and it would be a great pleasure. So, so that's what I'm going to finally get down to now this morning. Um, like most of you, I expect you found yourself, like I did, or I have, searching for much of your life as I did for much of my life, for ways to do good. This started when I was a Girl Scout, earning public service badges to sew on my little green sash, and it's continued since then. Meanwhile, despite growing up in New York City, or maybe because of it, as a young child, I felt an affinity towards nature. We'd go to visit relatives in Pennsylvania, and I was enchanted by the smell of the green grass and fresh air, and checking out my grandmother's cow and the chickens that were cooped up in her backyard. I came of age in the 70s, the decade of the first Earth Days, and of the world awakening to the ecological crises mounting around us. 
images of dead fish floating in filthy water and sooty emissions pouring out of smokestacks caught my young, impressionable mind, and I made a promise to myself and the planet that I would save the Earth from those who were abusing her. However, growing up in New York City also exposed me to human misery that had nothing to do with environmental degradation. People living on the streets, crime-motivated violence, a society divided between the haves and the have-nots. While concerns about environmental protection had taken a hold of my heart and head, concerns for the suffering of the people grabbed a hold of my soul. I moved forward in my life a bit like this, committed to working for environmental protection, but feeling like there were more immediate human needs which had to be addressed. I saw that while I could leave the city and go with my family to visit relatives in the countryside, most of my friends, and certainly most of the people who shared my South Bronx neighborhood, couldn't do that. They spent all their time in that concrete jungle. This fueled in me something bordering on guilt and played into that stereotype that ecological concerns are something for the privileged few and that most of the people on the planet have to struggle so hard to survive that concern about environmental protection is a luxury they can't afford. And I decided I couldn't just save the whales, I had to save the people as well. My consciousness expanded beyond the borders of my urban neighborhood and the places my family members called home. I was taught by the nuns of my Catholic school upbringing to pray for the atheist communists so that God would touch their souls and presumably make them good capitalists like us. <laughs> we were supposed to pray for communists in general, but I decided to pray for Leonid Brezhnev specifically, as I figured his conversion would make front-page news. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> of course, I never saw that headline, and eventually moved away from my schoolgirl days. As I moved from the rather spontaneous activism of my adolescence into my adult life, I looked for ways to make my commitment more sustained. I chose to study biology and environmental resource management in university with the intent to be an eco-warrior when I grew up. I graduated in the late 70s, but it seemed to me that most of the jobs available then were for what I considered to be token environmentalists, people who would crunch numbers and do the greenwashing bidding of their corporate masters. As this description of my worldview at that time probably hints at, it was around this time that I came to revisit my comparison of communism versus capitalism, not based on an atheist versus God-fearing view, but questioning which ism was more likely to lead to true social justice. So now I had a third ball, which I'd added to the righteous juggling act I was attempting to do, fighting for environmental protection, against individual suffering and degradation, and for social justice on a larger scale as well. Although it did bother me that these three very important dots didn't seem to be connected to each other at all. As a result of the Cold War, I added peace activism to the anti-nuclear work I had taken up. Then came a very interesting development. While Ronald Reagan was U.S. President, Mikhail Gorbachev became Secretary General of the Communist Party of the USSR, introducing policies of perestroika, restructuring, and glasnost, opening up. I had a good feeling about Gorby. I felt he was a good man who was also trying to do the right thing. Although Ronald Reagan liked to take credit for the collapse of the Soviet Union, 
I felt that Gorbachev himself was trying to move away from the repression that had characterized the Soviet bloc up until that point. Glasnost opened a fissure that allowed the power of the pent-up frustration of the people through, ultimately splitting the Soviet Union in the process. Gorbachev had become one of my heroes, one of many. A man willing to do what he felt was right and necessary, regardless of the consequences. When the Soviet Union collapsed and Gorbachev was out of a job, I wondered what he was going to do with himself. One of the things he did was start an organization called Green Cross International, a sort of Red Cross for the Earth. It seems Gorby also felt that environmental protection was an important priority area. In my own life's progression, I decided to go to law school because I saw law as a discipline which was about defining how people should behave, both individually and collectively. While there, I continued to pursue my triad of interest, studying environmental and human rights law, and became involved with actions for social and environmental justice through student and progressive lawyers groups. The things I was involved with in each setting seemed rarely to intersect, but I was beginning to accept that as normal. Shortly after graduating from law school, I moved to Europe, where I had a chance to work for 15 years in the countries of Central and Eastern Europe. Working with their lawyers, judges, and governments on adopting post-communist legal regimes, including those in the area of environmental and human rights protection. I came back to the United States in late August 2005 to be closer to family members I felt needed me. I immediately started looking for a new activist community to hook up with. At the Green Festival in Washington that year, I met some people sitting at a table with information on the Earth Charter. I'd had a vague idea that I'd heard about this before, and took some of their information. Unlike the other groups there, they didn't just ask me to sign a petition or to make as large a financial con contribution as I felt I could, and leave it at that, offering no other way to be involved. The Earth Charter people told me that they got together as a group to discuss how to breathe life into the Earth Charter principles. This intrigued me. I put my name on their sign-up list and asked to be informed about what they might be doing in the future. Upon reading the things I had taken from them, I realized why this all seemed familiar. The Earth Charter had started as a document considered at the 1992 Earth Summit held in Rio de Janeiro, an international gathering I had followed with great interest. What I hadn't realized was that while this document was never signed on by the heads of government gathered in Rio. Several international politicians took it and channeled it into a civil society initiative. One of those politicians was Mikhail Gorbachev, who, along with the others, realized that it was too precious an instrument to allow to die. The draft Earth Charter was sent around the world to hundreds of groups and thousands of individuals, who were asked to comment on it and try to boil it down to fund a set of fundamental values and principles that could be used as guidelines. For how to achieve a just, sustainable, and peaceful future. Reading all of this was a eureka moment for me. At last, I had found in one place an elaboration of all the objectives I had been pursuing for all those years. The preamble of the charter begins with the words, "We stand at a critical moment in Earth's history, a time when humanity must choose its future." I read those words and the ones which followed, and felt a rush of recognition. Here was a document laying it all out. We're all in this together. I didn't have to feel guilty that I was pursuing some sort of elitist ecological protection efforts, 
or that divergent issues had to be addressed in isolation of each other, or that the urgency of some issues must trump the importance of others. And we didn't have to wait for our leaders to take the initiative either. I thought, if the global civil society community could come up with the Earth Charter across continents, cultures, and linguistic barriers, then surely groups of committed individuals thinking globally and acting locally would be able to put its principles into practice. The Earth Charter calls on us to take action to achieve ecological integrity and social and economic justice. The Charter's principles urge us to build democratic societies that are just, participatory, sustainable, and peaceful, and to secure the Earth's bounty and beauty for present and future generations. These guidelines suggest we need to prevent harm, reevaluate our current patterns of production and consumption, advance inclusion, eradicate poverty, expand educational opportunities, and uphold the rights for all. If it sounds like the Earth Charter is trying to address every social justice issue we face with around the globe, well, that's because it does. But what's amazing is that it does this while containing a mere 16 principles which elaborate how we should focus our energy in order to do that. The Earth Charter might be called the 16 Commandments, although they don't focus on thou shalt nots, but rather, let's go ahead and do's. The Earth Charter hasn't made it easier for me to try to achieve multiple results on various fronts, but it, what it has done is strengthened in me the realization that I'm not alone in this multifaceted vision of what a just and better world should be and that we must collectively work on all aspects of that world, even as we individually identify which part of that work we're best placed or most motivated to contribute to. It has connected my dots. I hope you'll join me and the Earth Ethics and Act for Good committees for the workshop we'll be having here today to talk about the Earth Charter in greater detail and explore what it may mean for you and for the Washington Ethical Society as a whole. Thank you again for allowing me to share with you what it means to me.